Finding a service solution that helps you keep customers happy can feel impossible. Just like trying to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at a networking event. HubSpot's all-new Service Hub can help, with the service solution part at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform, with an AI-powered help desk and chatbot to handle your frontline tickets, so you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. Good morning, everyone. It's Wednesday, May 24th. I'm Mark Dent with Rob Litterst and Ben Berkeley, and you're listening to The Hustle Daily Show. Today, we're trying the old midweek roundtable once again. We're going to be chatting about a few really interesting stories. Giphy, or Jiffy, if you call it that, has a new owner. We're going to be talking about trusted brands and self-driving cars in Phoenix. They're kind of coming around, perhaps, finally. All right, so first things first, Giphy. I do call it Giphy. I've actually interviewed someone from that company before who does refer to them as GIFs, yet they have told me that uh, the name of the brand is Giphy. The news with Giphy is that it has a new owner. Rob, what's happening? Why the new owner? What's been happening with Giphy? As far as Giphy goes, the company's had a really wild last few years. Giphy was founded in 2013 when its founders, over breakfast, were lamenting the trend of purely visual communication. I can just kind of picture these guys just chatting and laughing over croissants and coffee and finding Giphy. But anyway, the company reached a peak valuation of $600 million in 2016 and shortly afterward experienced its highest relevance online. It's basically when it peaked on Google Trends. I remember back to that time and I remember people talking about Giphy quite a bit and just thinking that this company was kind of going crazy. And I think right around that time was when Slack added the ability to throw Giphy's into a Slack with that kind of shortcut or extension. Mm -hmm. And from there, I think it really escalated pretty quickly. Unsurprisingly, Meta scooped up Giphy in 2020, but fast forward to earlier this year and UK antitrust authorities forced Meta to sell the platform. That is where we land today. So Shutterstock just announced they're going to be buying Giphy for $53 million. So obviously the price that Shutterstock paid $53 million, a far cry from the $400 million that Meta bought Giphy for back in 2020. So clearly valuation has gone way down, but there's still a really optimistic argument, I think, for Giphy. It's one of those platforms on the internet that just gets a ton of usage. So that includes almost 2 billion daily users, 1.7 billion to be exact, 15 billion daily media impressions, and 1.3 billion daily search queries. So my question to you, Mark and Ben, do you like this acquisition for Shutterstock? I mean, anything that can take on the Getty Images juggernaut, they have to do it. Could not agree more. Getty is so, so big. And I know Shutterstock is trying to find their way to compete. So sure, anything that helps, got to take a swing. I think that this acquisition is really reflecting generational trends of the internet. You know, $600 million valuation in 2016, like you said, Rob, purchased for $400 million roughly by Meta just a few years ago. And now that is down to $53 million. People just aren't using GIFs. There are still, don't get me wrong, a lot of users, just like there are a lot of users on, you know, Facebook and a lot of these other sites that were more in like the first phase of social media. People who are younger than the three of us, who are all in our 30s, they don't think it's quite as cool to reply to something in a tweet with just one of those gifts, right? Mm-hmm. It's just gotten kind of old. When we look at the way that its price has gone down, it's sort of evidence of that. 
Yeah, I feel like Microsoft should have bought Giphy or something like that. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know, maybe like a company that panders more to people in their like 30s, 40s, 50s that are still using GIFs. Because to your point, I feel like the younger generations are over it. And Clippy is sort of perhaps <laughs> like the earliest version of a GIF. Um, you yes. know, like it moved around a little bit. Yes. I do like your argument though, Ben. I mean, I think Getty is such a monopoly on images. I love the idea of there being kind of like an up and comer that can challenge them for the throne. Yeah. I assume the entire industry is just shaking in its boots thinking about AI. So it makes sense that they would try to do anything to give themselves an edge in this moment. Totally. So Mark, this weekend I was in San Francisco and I saw this kind of like robot on wheels and my brother and I were super intrigued by this thing. Mm. It literally looked almost like a car blended with like a helicopter there. It had like sensors poking out all over the place. And I looked at the back of the car and it was a Waymo self-driving car. I live on the East Coast, had literally never seen one of these before. So it's totally fresh and new to me. It sounds like you were reading something about self-driving cars coming to Phoenix and Waymo being behind it. So can you tell me a little bit more about what's going on there? Yeah, exactly. So Waymo is Alphabet's self-driving car company, and they agreed to a partnership with Uber. What that partnership means is that there's going to start being a few Waymo self-driving cars on Uber. It's unclear exactly how much that will be. So far, Waymo has a fairly limited uh, amount of self-driving cars that are available in markets like Phoenix and San Francisco. And they're also doing some testing elsewhere, Los Angeles and Austin. So it's going to be not a thing where you are uh, just surprised you order an Uber and there's no human in it. It's going to be like an option on it (laughs) for some of those markets. I don't know. I, I find it interesting because... This is one of the first real signs of the general public having a still very limited opportunity to try out a self-driving car. And frankly, it comes years after the public was told that there would be self-driving cars. I will say, as someone who's actually from the Phoenix area, this is the perfect market for them because they have been testing in that market for so long that it almost feels strange when you're driving around and you don't see one. I mean, they're so regular that I imagine they won't have too hard of a time getting people on board with it. They've been sharing the roads for a long time. I mean, my parents are both self-driving cars. That's how (laughs) common it is. But no, it's it's very, it's just, just to say, it's very, very common in that area. So I think they picked their market very wisely on this. Yeah. So people, when they see that option on their Uber, they'll probably be like, oh, sure, in Phoenix. Whereas like potentially somewhere else, they'd be like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think Rob was saying he just saw one for the first time. The first time you see one of those cars, it's why why are all these spinning things going on? Like you're kind of just like taken aback. And I think that I'd be surprised if there are a lot of people left in Phoenix who haven't kind of like see them and they look past it. It's like, oh, just another one of those. Ben, do you kind of like acknowledge that Phoenix is kind of the testing ground for a lot of new technology? Like I feel like Open Door with their whole one click buy your house online launched in the Phoenix area. Like I feel like Phoenix is really kind of like a testing ground for a lot of new tech. And I wonder why that is. I think it's because everyone's brains are so addled by the heat (laughs) that... uh, (laughs) You're going to get really interesting behaviors out of people. No, I I don't know. I mean, I think it's a very large population base and it is cheap to operate in comparatively. I really couldn't tell you why other than it's a very interesting cross-section of the population as well. It's an expat community. And so you have so many people from all around the country. It ends up being a pretty good testing ground. So Phoenix could be the place to take us into the self-driving future 
I still think it's such a question mark of whether we'll get there and certainly when we will. You see so many estimates of like when it's going to happen still. The Insurance Institute for Highway Safety came out with this estimate expecting there to be three and a half million self-driving vehicles on U.S. roads by 2025. And then you can read other estimates and it's just like uh, there might literally not be any on sale within five years. You know, maybe Phoenix, who knows? We'll see what happens here in, in Phoenix and things may change. For our final story that we're going to discuss here today, we're talking about trustworthy brands. There was an annual report from Morning Consult, and it had a lot of just kind of interesting details that you have read through, Ben. What did Morning Consult find out about the brands that we trust? Yeah, I would have both of you guess which brand led the way in the United States for this survey, which it really goes into consumers' trust. And they're judging companies by who they would trust most to, quote, do the right thing. And so the company that is at the top, and it is Band-Aid, the trusty first aid bandage brand owned by Johnson & Johnson. And this is actually their second straight year topping this report. And Morning Consult, when they put this together, they didn't explicitly state why this is the case. But I can be bold and present a theory, which is that Band-Aid's reliable. It's consistent quality and pricing over the years, very similar to number five on the list, which is Kleenex. Mm. I think when a brand becomes the genericized term for their product, there's usually a good reason. Uh, It's because they set the standard and deliver on expectations. Yeah. Amazon is up there in the top 10 as well. But really outside of Amazon, there's no tech, which doesn't surprise me because we don't really have relationships with tech companies as much. And oftentimes some of the relationships that we have can be negative, obviously, certainly, especially with social media, which has a number of issues. But some of the other ones like, you know, Lysol, it's just something that you pick up around the house, right? UPS, they come to your door. Cheerios. These are all just, I I feel like they're ones that we really have this familiarity with us and they are present in a way that a lot of tech is not. Yeah, I think one thing I'd note with these results is one, when you look outside the United States, you will actually see a little bit more tech representation. Hmm. In India and in France, for instance, Google comes in number one. And then if you also look down the list at different categories, in subcategories, something like social media, the most trusted brand, another Google property, YouTube. Hmm. So I think that trust is there. I think maybe comparatively, it just isn't. Hmm. One thing I would say is that while certain brands, you know, that have made strides on this list, we've mentioned a bunch of them, you know, the Amazons, Lysol, UPS, no matter where different brands fall on this list, one thing that I would mention for those at the top is to not get too comfortable in taking their victory lap because Gen Z, they're not really buying it. This report showed a staggering lack of trust coming from the youngest customers. When you look at the numbers on this report, baby boomers and Gen Xers were nearly twice as likely to trust a brand than a Gen Zer. Hmm. Is that because they just are too young to form really strong connections or is there something else maybe a little bit deeper to that? I mean, I would say the survey is very, very sweet in (laughs) suggesting that maybe it is because they haven't had enough time to really build those attachments to different products. Uh, I think if you zoom out a little and you start to look at other data, reality is probably a little more bleak in that this generation just doesn't trust institutions. There are stats you can find that show a complete lack of trust from Gen Z in state 
local federal government, in higher education, in medical professionals, really pretty much everything except for nonprofits, which is the only category where they got good marks in this most trusted brands report. Wow. So brands and everybody except for nonprofits, they have a lot of work to do. As far as corporate America wanting to kind of unlock the spending power of this generation, they're going to need to do a lot of work to rehab their relationship. For us, I hope we have a lot of trust. Thank you all for tuning in to The Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor today is Robert Hartwig, and our executive producer is Darren Clark. We've got a lot more tech and business coverage in our newsletter. So if you're not subscribed, go get yourself signed up at thehustle.co slash email. See you tomorrow. Hey, everybody, I got a great podcast to tell you about. It's called Truth, Lies, and Work, and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. On this show, you can join husband and wife team Alan, Leanne Elliott as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. They actually just did an episode with John Smith, who is the manager and agent of famous Argentinian soccer player Diego Maradona. He talks about in this episode how he was able to manage the global superstar athlete celebrity that Maradona is and was. It's a great listen. You better get out there and check it out. And you can listen to Truth, Lies, and Work wherever you get your podcasts.